Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And Austin Ward, my co-pilot, you know, I'm going to be doing a couple of these this week. Uh, one of which is there's... There's a lot of snow on that mountain when it comes to Coach's Mountain at Ohio State, and we need to deal with it before it becomes a uh, an avalanche, you know. And uh, and you've been on top of that better than anybody else. So I wanted to get you in here with that, but I also want to come back uh, later in the week with kind of a reaction to the national championship game and and where things are headed, uh, more specifically where things are headed with Ohio State in that realm, you know, is uh, – as they now eyeball 2022, 2021 is, is long gone now. And uh, Ohio State capping up with that dramatic uh, victory uh, in the Rose Bowl uh, over Utah and coming back. And we all knew changes were in the works. Uh, Ryan Day had already announced a change at defensive coordinator, or at least the new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles. Uh, Matt Barnes has moved on to Memphis as, I think, defensive coordinator. Am I correct? Correct. And, uh, and as you broke this week, you know, you're ahead of this on top of it. Justin Fry uh, being hired uh, from UCLA as the offensive line coach. Uh, Ryan Day has had plenty of experience with Justin Fry. Trusts him kind of like a uh, your yin, my yang kind of thing, right, with uh, Ryan Day and Justin Fry. But kind of get into that. What, what does this mean to Ohio State going forward in your opinion? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty significant. And you look at this already with, as you mentioned, those changes that have gone on, uh, it's clear that that Ryan Day is not uh, standing pat and satisfied with what happened at the end of the year. And one of the things that we talked about, you know, at the end of 2020, it was, you know, interior pass rush. Ohio State had problems there handling that. And one of the ways they wanted to fix it was, uh, well, they're going to put four tackles out there. Well, then they gave up something a little bit in terms of uh, the, the running game and short yardage situation. And it wasn't what Ohio State wanted. So the build up there is that, as the production started to slip a little bit for the Ohio State offensive line, and then you combine that with the fact uh, that the recruiting had never been Greg's to draw a strong point. Ohio State uh, really, after what happened in the big house, felt like they needed to make a change there and look for an upgrade. And, and you know, Justin Fry, uh, this has been somebody that, dating back to when Ryan Day was first hired three years ago, there was a conversation of, do you keep Greg's to draw a, or go pursue this guy. That's how long he's been on Ohio State and Ryan Day's radar. And ultimately, Ryan Day came down on the side. Well, you know, studded, developed these guys. They had the Remington Trophy winners. They were still sending, you know, guys to the league. They were getting a lot out of Thayer Munford and three-star guys like Dewan Jones. But, you know, that sort of, as that came down a little bit, it became more apparent to Ohio State that they needed to make that change. And I think that some energy, you know, maybe we'll see if he's a better recruiter. Um that's going to be a big part of the job, of course, but uh, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, here for Ohio State to grow on that offensive line, and that's to take nothing away from what Stradrawa did over the overall body of work, but I think sometimes you do need some fresh blood to move forward. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into this real quick, though, uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Obviously, they've gotten some pretty good players in here in the offensive line spot. What, 
what specifically do you think Justin Fry will enhance in that regard? I mean, like you said, they started four tackles, you know, maybe that's because they didn't have two guards, you know, but those, those were pretty talented guys. They started on the offensive line this year, yeah. including Luke Whippler at center. But uh, where do you think they could go? You know, you, you know, you and Berm talk about this a lot and Spencer Holbrook and stuff, but where do you think they can go uh, in, in far as enhancing the offensive line recruiting? Yeah, I, I think that, and they've still done well. Like a lot of times they miss Jackson Carmen is the one that people point to a lot. Well, what happened after that? Vic was petit frere turned out pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it more than anything just made it more challenging for Ohio state that they didn't initially win the battles that they wanted to. And then they had to go back and fight another one and maybe call in reserves from Kevin Wilson or Ryan day, you know, to push that over the top. And or that, even Greg Ciano with Nicholas Petit Frere, for example. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and recruiting areas and all that sort of thing. And, because Kevin Wilson with Dewan Jones uh, was a big factor there, yeah. for example. And, you know, it's not that uh, Ohio State didn't have good players because they do, and, and Justin Fry is about to inherit a lot of them. I think ideally Ohio State would just not like to have to worry about that and know that these things are going to be taken care of well in advance. They're going to lock up the guys that they view that they want and need. And I think that maybe that earlier success – you know, maybe that allows them to look at other areas or uh, spend more time on different things that maybe matter more than having to scramble uh, down the stretch or have other people tag in on relationships. You know, Berm can answer that question a lot better than I can. I think what I became a little bit I, – I thought that keeping Greg Stradawa was a defensible decision when Ryan Day took over. And a lot of that was tied to what you saw with Billy Price and Pat Elfline and at that time, Ohio State seemed to have a really good feel for evaluating its personnel and then putting them in, in spots where they could succeed. And I, you know, maybe we're maybe I'm looking at too small of a sample size, but just like with Michael Jordan, for example, to go back a couple of years, I didn't think that that, that fit really that well. Yeah. When they put together the pieces right here, you know, I thought Dewan Jones was the fourth best tackle of the four, and he's out there on the right side and. Ohio State won 11 games and they won the Rose Bowl and they're the highest scoring team in the country. They, they, the offensive line is part of that. So I, I get all that. And I think we're grading this on that championship scale. And I didn't think Ohio State's offensive line reached that. And part of that could be like maybe just playing a guard like Matt Jones in there, if that could have alleviated some of the concern or, or even flipping Dewan inside and letting Paris Johnson play outside with their Munford. I, I don't know. I'm, I will always defer to the coach's judgment because they see and know way more than me. But just from my evaluations, and I, I think that, you know, I don't know how much you agree with this, probably to, to some degree, but it, it just wasn't – it didn't click the way that it needed to. And when you're, when you're fo looking at everything that may need it addressed in this offseason, which is so critical, that counts more than it may have three years ago. No, uh, I agree with you. 98.87%. Uh, and I'm just tabulate that, tabulating that in my head. I, I could be off a couple of points. Uh, right. You know, what bothered what bothered me as I'm watching Ohio State's offensive line this year is how several defenses befuddled them in the running game. I mean, almost like logjam kind of stuff, for, for want of another term, with just movement and, uh, and just jumping, you know, switching just before the snap, things like that. And 
Ohio State had a hard time dealing with that, and which is why Travion Henderson was sort of hit or miss, you know, the last part of the season, uh, you know, which comes to mind, uh, Penn State, Nebraska, clearly Michigan, uh, those defenses. And then, of course, Utah even. He fuddled the offensive line when he came to running the ball and uh, took some outstanding efforts a little bit by Mayan Williams and uh, Trevion Henderson to kind of eke out 100 yards in that game, <laughs> you know, which is, I mean, to get it over 100 yards in that game, which is why, you know, you just after you kind of like keep hitting somebody in the midsection, you think he's going to loosen up, but it didn't. So, yeah, that's troubling. And that's troubling to Ryan Day because Ryan Day is a lot like uh, Urban Meyer in this respect. He wants a power running game to go with this ridiculous passing scheme he's got in yeah. his mind, that's perfection or near perfection. You're not, you're never perfect, but near perfection to Ryan day. And like I said, on wall to wall sports this week, he just thinks not just the team and the players, but the, you know, Ohio state fans and stuff, they deserve the best that he can put on the field. And I'm not sure he thought he was getting it is great as the offense was this year leading the leading the nation in both total offense and in scoring he, he thinks it can be better I mean he and he's correct right yeah and I think that you know it's a collection of games over time if you look at yeah the red zone you know situations two years ago against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl um, you know maybe that game goes it, that's one of 50 different things that could have gone a different way but they weren't able to finish those drives in there. And I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger solely at, at the offensive line for that by any stretch of the imagination. But when you look at nitpicking at the level that you have to when you're Ohio State and trying to win national championships, you're, I mean, look, we know that they had flaws even while winning 11 games. And we're not pretending that they don't. And, and Ryan Day uh, is, is – has to be serious about that because he wants to win a national championship. Um, you, you don't leave a legacy at Ohio state without one yeah. as the coach, uh, or at least your legacy looks a lot different if it's not on in that trophy case for you. So he can't just say, well, yeah, we're number one in the country and scoring and things are great. And double digit wins. We're really happy. Man, next year, you know, everything will be fine. Like, and I think that if there was a question for people about that with Ryan day and, the last couple of years, whether that's, you know, promoting some guys from in-house like, you know, Parker Fleming or, or, you know, bringing in Matt Barnes, it was like, okay, well, how aggressive does he want to be with his coaching staff? Well, I think that this, for me, that tells you, Jim Knowles was one sign for that, but he could have easily, if he wanted to, made a case to keep, keep Greg Sudrawa because of all the factors that we mentioned. Yeah. And he's a great personality as well. Like, everybody likes talking to Stud. And he's oh, yeah. done good work getting the most out of players. Like, if he truly wanted to do that, there would have been an opportunity to do so. Yeah, and, and let's, yeah, let's make it clear to people: we're not necessarily indicting Stud. He's one of my favorite guys I've ever dealt with. Uh, right. We're talking about this thing more in the way Ryan Day is looking at it, and uh, just like with the defensive situation, uh, they kind of got a few things figured out as the year went along with Matt Barnes, you know, calling the uh, calling the sets and stuff, and collating. The, the situation and taking them down maybe a different path, the path that, that clearly Ryan Day wanted to go, but it was not, it was not what they wanted. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're starting like a, a former running back and a former tight end at linebacker, you know, <laughs> in the last game of the year, things have not gone well in the linebacker room. That is for sure, you know. So 
we'll see if there are other shoes to drop in this whole thing. But Ryan Day was not going to sit there and just go, okay, we'll get to the end of the year and fix this. Didn't have time. This was a really good football team that still had a shot at maybe going places. It did go to the Rose Bowl, but, you know, they had other things in mind. He pulled the trigger and uh, brings in Jim Knowles. What, what do you see coming down the road? Do you see uh, do you see more changes on that defensive side? You and I have talked about this, but people listening, so I have to kind of prod you. You know what I'm saying? But uh, what, what, what have we seen the last uh, of the changes on the defensive side of the ball, in your opinion? I'm talking about from a coaching staff situation. Yeah, probably not. Um, you know, as Ohio State looks at this, I know that there um, were interviews with defensive backs coaches on Friday. Uh, as Ryan Day looks at that and, you know, obviously, you know, Matt Barnes is not around. And, and if you're trying to, you know, shuffle things around and look at the who's in what seat, it, it seems at this point now, and I had said over the previous month leading up to the Rose Bowl that I thought Larry Johnson was probably more likely than not to retire. I would flip that now. And I think that he is more likely to stay than retire, uh, at least for this cycle. Sure looks um, like so that's so that's a significant piece right there. Jim Knowles is going to coach linebackers. Um, my understanding of the staff structure is that even though Jim Knowles has worked with two defensive line coaches in the past um, at Oklahoma State, that, that is not currently, and these things can change, not currently the way Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are looking at, at comprising this staff. They would rather have two, deep, two coaches in the secondary, which to me makes a lot of sense because you have uh, three safeties and two cornerbacks, the positions and responsibilities are not the same. So I think that that is where that is heading. What does that mean for Kerry Combs? He has options outside the program, uh, two of them at the NFL level and a possibility for one thing that may transpire uh, with, a, with a college program. Uh, there's moving pieces there. So that'll be as far as I, I go to identify yeah. uh, that situation. But the point is, I think Kerry Combs – has had the opportunity to return. And he's part of that conversation with what do they need when they interview coaches, uh, secondary coaches, defensive backs, coaches, safety coaches, cornerbacks. You know, if you have Kerry Combs, that you have the, you know, one of the most decorated cornerbacks coaches to ever come through college football with what he did with first round draft picks. So that would obviously lend itself to a different position. We'll see. I, I think when you're talking about, you know, Kerry Combs having options, the potential for Al Washington to, to look outside the program as well and not knowing definitively how he fits in with Jim Knowles at linebacker. There's the opportunity there where it would, I guess I would have to say surprise me if the rest of that stayed the exact same. Uh, I, I, I'm try, I try in these situations not to make predictions because it's not fair to anybody involved, but that's just the reality when you're counting heads and knowing that there are interviews going on, there's going to be, you know, probably a little bit more reshuffling there. Hey, before I get to one of uh, Ryan Day's great recruiting coups, although it's not really because this guy was born and bred a Buckeye, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, I'm talking about on a, on a coaching staff. You know where I'm going. That's why you're laughing. That's why you're chortling. Uh, let's get back to Larry Johnson and stuff. Let, let's say Jim Knowles comes in and he wants to he wants to do that Leo thing that he did at Oklahoma State, although – I don't know. I think the jury's out on that. Had Marlon Kerner on talking about that last week, you know, former Buckeye, uh, just about, you know, in the Big Ten, can you really get away with doing a lot of that? But do you think Larry Johnson is ready 
to coach that kind of like situation, uh, a defensive lineman who had one minute at end, one minute in the A gap, one minute on the other side, one minute in the in the B gap. I mean, do you do you think Larry uh, is amenable? Well, he's you know obviously he, he's amenable, but I mean, <laughs> do you think he would look forward to that as opposed to coaching? For the most part, four down linemen every, you know what I mean? Every, most every scheme. Well, how do you think that's going to go? How do you think those conversations, I guess, are going in the in the defensive uh, meeting room? Yeah, I mean, Larry Johnson knows more about defensive line play and not just his own approach than yeah. anyone could ever hope to learn and then forget. Um, he's as knowledgeable as they come. He's a legend at that position. And I, I hadn't really given it a ton of thought, which you brought up about, you know, shifting around that personnel and using that Leo or Jack or whatever they want to call that role if they use it. Um, obviously, we talked about that in the build-up to the Rose Bowl. Hey, wait a minute. Let me interrupt you. Maybe they'll call it Brutus. You know what I mean? Hey, the Brute. Yeah, the um, Brute. As opposed to the Bullet, because the Bullet uh, hits some people the wrong way, pardon the expression. But go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I mean, we're here for ideas for that if they need it. We'll be happy to brainstorm. Well, well the Bavarian Bulldozer or whatever it is that uh, – no, Bull Rusher that uh, – oh. That uh, Burn gave uh, gave commitment. I mean, uh, signee. I guess hero can, canoe. I mean, that's pretty good. But go ahead now. now that's a, his name is Hero. Like yeah. you don't you don't need more. Uh, anyway, that's that's aside the point. I guess when you the way you mentioned that Tim just sparked my memory of thinking about Chase Young and inside that you know Jim Halfley year, Greg Madison and and moving him around in the times where he's standing up and sometimes he's inside, sometimes he's outside the predator position when he was right. floating around as a standup, you know, I don't think it, and Larry Johnson probably thought at some point earlier in his career, that's what I'd really like to do with my defensive end to stand him up and move him all over, you know, the lineup, all over the field. And but I, your point is we've kind of seen this before. Go ahead. I and mean, that's the point. So I think he, I think he's okay with that. And yeah. maybe that would be, uh, uh, I think, I don't know what's going to happen with Zach Harrison. Seems like he, he's been on the fence throughout this whole process. But, you know, with his skill set, maybe that would have been a better use than just, hey, stay here on this one side every single snap. This is what you're going to do. Um, you know, he's got so much athleticism. Maybe that would have been a better option. Jack Sawyer could be the same situation next year. So I, I don't think that he's opposed to that or unable to teach it because he's also done some things where, hey, Baron Browning, you might be really good in pass rush situations. Why don't you come down here and use what, you know, some of these techniques, and then we're going to put you in this spot. And Cade Stover's done the same thing. I think that that's something that he can do without it being like, you're insulting my legacy. I, yeah. I don't think yeah. it would be the yeah. case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me ask you, I'm asking this facetiously a little bit, but uh, what do you think Jim Knowles thinks of the linebacker room right now? What do you, what do you, I mean, what, what, what do you think he's thinking? I mean, he's, he's watched, you know, he's gotten to watch video, at least of practices. Probably, I don't know if he got to watch any practices. I think he did. Uh, he got to watch the Rose Bowl. What do you think he's thinking about the linebacker room right now? I don't know if I'm in the minority on this because there, there's been so much kind of criticism of the way that unit I know where you're going, year. though. Go ahead, though. You're not in the minority. Go ahead. I just think that there is a lot of raw material to work with. And Kate Stover has got to stay there. Okay, let's let's start with that. Steel Chambers is going to get another year to be comfortable and fully committed to that position. Cody Simon is going to get his shoulder taken care of for if if there was a concern about production dipping at the end of the year. Well, that's why he wasn't fully healthy. 
Mitchell Melton is going to be healthy going into to spring ball. Tommy Eichenberg, the steps he made from September through the Rose Bowl. Folks, if you're, if you're latched on to uh, an evaluation that you made in September and not letting it go, I urge you to reconsider. Uh, he, he can help Ohio State a lot yeah. against teams that run the football. I'm not going to pretend like you want him matched up one-on-one in, in coverage, running down the field with a wide receiver. Uh, some of this is obviously going to be matchup dependent, but he can definitely help. And that the point is, whatever Jim Knowles wants to do with them, and by and Diamante Trainum coming in and Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks and these like that's a lot of raw material to work with. Yes, I think that the the potential for that unit to make a huge leap forward is right there. I agree. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You don't have to answer. But is Al Washington Jr. on the staff uh, uh, at the start of spring? What is your What is your take? I mean, is there uh, there seem to be you know just look from the outside in because I like Al Washington Jr. <laughs> but boy, the turmoil in that in that room, or at least the <clears throat> the exit door in that room, was kind of like uh, need to fix the uh, almost need to get some grease on the uh, on the on the hinges there because it was squeaking at the end of the year. I mean, what? Uh, what was there a problem personnel wise or was a problem just with that room? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's hard to figure. I mean, you, you have to look at Dallas Gant and, and Kevon Pope and, you know, what, you know, didn't happen maybe or did happen with Craig Young, even though he wasn't in that unit anymore. And yeah. ask if, if that was an issue, I tend to side on the fact that they were just a few rare circumstances and maybe beyond what Al Washington can control. You know, I, I really just don't hold it against him. Uh, and I think that, you know, a year ago it was celebrated when Tennessee is offering well over a million dollars for him to be the defensive coordinator. Um, he had done you know, linebackers the year before. Yeah. They'd been the best unit. That's part of the reason four of them were on the field against Alabama. It wasn't the greatest schematic thing, but those were the personnel that they trusted the most that they had available at that time. And Al Washington was a big part of that. The two-year kind of turnaround that he led, um, you know, that counted for something. And people have noticed that. He's a, a passionate guy. He's a, a skilled relationship and recruiting asset. Um, to answer your question, it, it's, it's hard to look and see. His role is not going to be coaching linebackers if he's at Ohio State. And, and they're not talking about having two defensive line coaches, which is something that he has experience with as well. Yeah. So – from that standpoint, I sit here and I, I don't see the perfect fit and weigh that as well with the fact that the other programs around the country also don't think that Al Washington suddenly forgot how to coach or do any of the other things. I think, you know, Tennessee, he recognized was going to be a, a pretty big challenge um, even to take the, you know, if you want to just take the money, he could have done that. But, you know, to try and turn around that program and that situation at that level to be a first-time coordinator was was too was a lot to ask, and so that's one of the reasons that he decided to stay. Um, I think they'll have other options, and I think they'll have to weigh that with, "Hey, you're no longer going to be the primary linebackers coach. Um, yeah. You wouldn't be even if they changed course and had a second defensive line coach. You're not going to. Larry Johnson is still here. You're not going to be the primary guy there. So, I think that'll probably weigh into it and. That that makes it a little bit hard to see at this point. Yeah, it was really cool. The uh, uh, 
Tanner McAllister, what he had to say, you know, about uh, Jim Knowles. I mean, just being a player's coach. I mean, you know, player's coach, that all, has all kinds of connotations. But, and I've, I've done a lot of homework on him in the last month, and I, I just like the way he kind of goes about his business. I'm talking about uh, Jim Knowles. We'll see if it translates at Ohio State. But uh, some of the stuff he's done, you can always see there's thinking going on. He's a lot of times ahead of the game in the chess moves, you know. And that's that's kind of instead of just putting a defense out there because this it says this team is going to do this now, you can see some chess moves he's making there where the all of a sudden the offense kind of goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Well, we've already run out of timeouts. Now what do we do? You know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting. Jeff Affley had a very immediate impact on the defense before he was one and done. And uh, I think Jim Knowles might be a close to a lifer unless he gets a head coaching job or something somewhere. I think he might, this might be a comfortable fit for him and for Ryan day in this defense. You agree? Hey, for 1.9 million, you can get pretty comfortable. being yeah. I was going to say, man, I can <laughs> me a new stool. So I'm not always fidgeting while I'm out, while I'm out here. Now let's get to the, uh, to the real recruiting. I don't know if this is recruiting because this is, but Brian Hartline staying at Ohio state. Uh, still close the deal. Huh? Yeah. I'm still Close the deal. Yeah, like I, like I, uh, like I, I uh, quote tweeted on top of your on top of the retweet of your story, uh, you know, earlier this weekend. This is like him landing an NIL deal, getting named passing game coordinator because it is. It's, there's a lot more money going to be involved. It has to be because uh, he was a hot name out there. Explain to people how hot he was. I mean, obviously Marcus Freeman. I think he didn't roll out the bank for him. But uh, Marcus Freeman was extremely interested in him joining his staff at Notre Dame, the new staff at Notre Dame. But uh, uh, keeping Brian Hartline was a coup, and a, a recruiting recruiting coup for, for one of another term uh, by Ryan Day, right? Yeah, and I think that it goes back to what we we talked about early on with well, how aggressive is Ryan Day going to be? There, there's not any. Hey, this receiving group last year was special. It's going to be special again this year. And the recruiting is not slowing down. But that's Brian Hartline. Ryan Day's not trying to take credit for that, not trying to say it's all my offense or all my quarterback. There is a recognition that Brian Hartline is very, very, very skilled at his job. Okay? So you have to be aggressive then. Sometimes your most aggressive move is making sure that people don't hire away your best coaches. So that part, Ryan Day recognized that, knows that the credit's due there, wants to make sure that he stays in any way that he can keep him. And then there's another part that has to come into this, and that is, can you make sure that Gene Smith is aware of that situation and that the, that support comes from above Ryan Day as well? And they had to step up here because at the level Brian Hartline was at previously, which was a pretty steep hometown discount considering he's the best in the country at his position. And well, not only that, but let's, let's throw some else in there. Never been a coach before. Ohio State took a chance on him. It's- yep. I don't know if they, you know, it was a GA or whatever you want to call it there, you know, whatever, proved himself, uh, got a great break. Well, let's face it, when Zach Smith got fired, got a break. But he, but like you go, I'm just giving people a little bit of history. He has proven himself beyond a doubt. Now go ahead. Yeah, without question. And so, you know, because of the way he came in, uh, I can see why it was initially tougher for them. Plus, Brent Hartline got a second contract in the NFL. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't uh, homeless here by any stretch of the imagination. So it it made sense. Like, all right, he's an alum. He got this opportunity. 
Maybe we can devote some of the resources elsewhere and then on the way up. And, and I think Brian Hartline understood that starting out. And he's a competitor. Even if he didn't need the money, he still would have liked it because he was earning it. Um, and I think that there was a, a recognition from everybody involved that you're going to have to pay the market rate for this guy, even if he does have loyalty to Ohio State. You can't expect to get uh, a hometown coupon permanently with someone uh, of his stature at this point. Because if you if you are banking on that, at some point, somebody's going to come in with an offer that is going to knock his socks off, knock everyone's socks off and say, I can't say no to this. They're going to triple, quadruple the pay. Like, I, you know, it's at some point people want to be paid what they're worth. And I'm not saying that Brian Hartline was trying to leave. He wasn't. But the door was open, at least in the eyes of Marcus Freeman, to make that call and say, hey, they're paying you half a million? Well, you're worth way more than that. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. And so that pressure then, Ryan Day has to recognize it, and then Gene Smith has to step up and sign off on that. And to his credit, Gene Smith's credit, Jim Knowles is the highest paid assistant in the history of Ohio State now. Yeah. It's going to be expensive to complete this staff. Uh, Justin Fry made 700000 at UCLA. Uh, that's 700000 in L.A., so that's not quite the same as 700000 here, but that's what Greg Sudrawa was making, so you have to anticipate it's that or more, uh, especially if he's not going to be the offensive coordinator the way he was at UCLA, so that's an expense. Tony Alford uh, needed a raise after getting interest from LSU and Notre Dame, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was another call that came in. So, you know, this money's adding up, and you ha- but this is the way, of it, the way of the world right now. Ryan Day's also going to need more money. But to, I, I only bring that up because sometimes Gene Smith takes uh, criticism for that because he's made a bunch of comments in the past about not wanting to be part of the arms race for you know, skyrocketing salaries across college football. He's always been hesitant about that. Uh, I've been critical at times about some of the decisions and approaches there. You have to give full credit when he's doing it. Oh yeah, and he, the checkbook is open right now for Ohio State, coming off of that loss to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, lead, follow, or lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. I mean, that's that's the. I remember Jim Truman, former uh, late owner of the uh, True Sports Racing team, say that to me for the first time. First time I ever heard that back in 1980s, and. Uh, and that's that's like auto racing, same thing, man. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You know, you're not if you're standing pat, you're getting worse. And uh, and there comes a moment in time when you got like Ohio State decided to build a big stadium in 1922. You know, <laughs> they wanted to be Ohio Wesley and didn't. You know, <laughs> I mean, you look yep. around and there are, there are these moments in the in these these epochs of college football that are huge. And this is one of them. This this happens to be all about the money show people the money and yeah. uh and it looks like Ohio State's ready to do that clearly they're ready to do that with the Jim Knowles contract if uh, I haven't seen it on paper yet but uh if it's close to what is rumored to be almost two million dollars you know you've already set the bar there as you know there are other coordinators out there making more money than that <laughs> around the country it's it's crazy and and you know you just look at Ohio State's budget for its football coaching staff Going forward, we're talking about if you give Ryan Day a bump based on what some other guys are getting for not having done anything, (laughs) you know, you to make him feel good if that's the right way of looking at it. Although 
making him a head coach for the first time at Ohio State was a pretty good deal, you know. Yeah. But uh, we're talking about I'm, – I'm, I was doing this in my mind a while ago, which is a bad place for anybody to wander around in. But uh, we're talking about a minimum $2.5, $3 million bump in coaching salary uh, situation unless some people take a cut, which – Maybe one guy takes a cut, but I don't see a bunch at this point. Uh, that's a pretty good ballpark figure, don't you think, from a salary standpoint, budget standpoint? Yep, and that's – you know, the crazy part is that the, the money for that is there. Like, the way it's working with the television deals about to expire and re, or be renegotiated and then playoff expansion after that, like, if you don't pay it now when you have it, yeah, well, you're, you're going to fall behind, like yeah. you said. It's it's lead follow or get run over. So yeah. Ohio State does not want to be in those other two categories. And there were times that it was more willing to follow. And part of the reason you look at what happened when the SEC really took the lead over the Big Ten in the 2000s through 2010, and and whether you how strongly you believe that the SEC is still much better than the Big Ten. Uh, probably depends on where you're listening to this podcast from, but um, <laughs> the Big Ten has largely caught up top to bottom in strength because Ohio State has said you have to aggressively recruit more passionately than has ever been. There's no gentleman's agreement to have that 2012 conversation. You have to pay to keep the best coaches from going to the SEC. Uh, you know, on down the list, you have to upgrade your facilities. You have to do this stuff as much as you can competitively. And that's how they close the gap because that's what the SEC always understood is that you have to show you're committed financially to win. It's not purely, it never has been about just how bad you want it or this league is lucky. Uh, you know, it, it was a coincidence that they did this for 10 years in a row. No, they paid for it. And then they, and they got their investment back. And that's what has to happen. I think the bowl season is a referendum on that. I mean, the great bowl season that the Big Ten had for the most part. And uh, and I'm looking at the SEC right now, and I'm going, you know, they're guaranteed one more loss, you know, yeah. as we record this, you know, in the bowl season. <laughs> so Georgia, Alabama uh, are, are playing uh, later uh, yeah. as we record this. And uh, I'm going to come back, like I said, with another podcast just about that, but where Ohio State sits, et cetera. But this has a little bit of been a little bit of a referendum, hadn't it, on, on where the Big Ten from a strength standpoint, you know, a lot of ships are rising. I, I think you agree with me, don't you? Yeah, I do. And look, Michigan had to do it creatively with what they did financially, but yeah, their, their resources didn't change, and they got paid back by you know the salary pool around Jim Harbaugh last year, and that paid off in a big way. Um, Michigan State showed a. You know, Mel put faith in Mel Tucker and paid up to get him uh, out of his previous situation and then definitely paid up to keep him after that season. Um, and that's just the way of it. It also goes into cutting your losses when you think that things aren't going the right direction. And that also comes with a financial payout and weighing the odds. And I find it amusing that Penn State's calculation told them to keep James Franklin. But again, that's a big commitment that they think that it's the right track and the guy that they don't want to let get away. So if that keeps them, you know, competitive and for big time bowl games and in the East division every single year, at least they're willing to put their money where their mouth is on that. 
and there's just no there just so is no other option. Yeah, you can't cut corners in college football and win at the highest level. Yeah, there's just no way to do that now. Yeah, you know, uh, college major college football has become Pamplona. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're either running with the bulls and you're out. You know, the best way to run with the bulls is be out front of all these other guys running with the bulls. That's that old line. You know, you have to when you got two guys. You know, you don't when a bear's coming after you. Don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun that other guy. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. There. Everybody wants to run with the Bulls, man, and a lot of money's being thrown around. Hey, let me ask you this real quick before we go uh, here. Awesome. I mean, excuse me, Austin. Uh, is this a good thing for college football? I mean, are people – do you think people – I mean, you know, we already, we've already we already had these shows uh, where I've talked about just the transfer portal to me is as big a deal as anything uh, in, as, in terms of sort of like maybe turning a few people off to what's mm-hmm. going on. But when you link the transfer portal with the NIL name, image, and likeness deals that guys are getting, a.k.a. slush funds now, they're turning out to be, do you think uh, college football is going to slowly but surely be turning off some of its some of its longtime fans who just see it as a big money grab anymore? Yeah, and I, I don't think that the risk of that exists in Columbus or Tuscaloosa or Austin, Texas or Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, those places have always sort of understood the nature of the business or embraced that part of it and won at a high level. I don't think that this transfer portal or NIL really changes that in those markets. But for everyone else, and Nick Saban, I think, was alluding to this, and people kind of, I think, missed his point uh, on Sunday or Saturday that, like, is this what you want it to be? Because if you want to open it up to a bidding war, well, Alabama's going to win a lot of them, most of them. Like at least against Mississippi State and Ole Miss and uh, South Carolina, or what, like they're going to clean up. Auburn, throw Auburn in there, man. Go ahead. They're going to clean up. Yeah. And Texas and Texas A&M are going to clean up. And Ohio State is going to clean up. And USC is going to clean up. Yeah. So if you only, you know, that's the that's the risk I think that you run for college football. If you are down, and we're already sort of there, maybe if you could only have ten programs that are legitimate threats to win the, the national championship every year. Well, what does that mean for the rest of 100 and, you know, 10, 120 programs in college football? Obviously the group of five, let's just cut that out, but you're still alienating 50 power five teams. Of course you are. And, yeah. the sport, and the sport that we all know is not the same. If Iowa is helpless against the steamroll and can't, you know, dip into a fortune 500 company or what, like, I don't mean to, Maybe John Deere, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. A lot, but obviously the situation in Iowa city is not the same as Columbus. Yeah. And part of the issue, I think the college football is running into is that there is no central leadership to say, these are going to be the rules. We're all going to play by them. This is the dollar amount. This is the, the portal thing. They basically just let this whole thing get burst wide open and all the powerhouses were already in position to capitalize on that. Yeah. And that'll stay that way. Yes. And if they, don't, if they don't do something to try and mitigate that, well, Alabama is going to get even stronger. Ohio State is going to get even stronger. Texas, if they can find a right coach, they're going to get really strong and good again. And, yeah. and that's you, just yeah. the way it goes. And as I, I've had some former players on there, and they, when we start talking about the NIL, it's like somebody can make a, I make a rule. I go, you got, you know, you got to understand, the name, image, and likeness stuff has come into being – because of laws <laughs> that have been written, not 
NCAA rules. The NCAA totally missed that ballpark because they don't okay. have anything to do with paying players. And so now that, you know, those, those bulls, I'm going to use that analogy again, those bulls are out of the gate. I mean, you're not getting them back in the gate without changing laws. And uh, we all have seen how, how tough that is to do. Uh, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, I see there's, you got to now, you got to get You've got to develop a workaround. You know, you got to have the NFL pays their players, but they have rules, you know, about things. They have salary caps, uh, et cetera. Uh, there are ways to sort of corral things, but it's going to take several years, maybe even a decade, uh, to get this thing under control, in my opinion, to where, like, like you and I have always talked about this and always kept bringing this up. Okay, you want to have an all-power five league, you know, uh, association. We got to have rules in an all-power five association. But then on top of that, you're going to have teams that are used to being part of a power five deal are going to be the bottom feeders of that new association. Are they going to be happy being the bottom feeders? You know, that's, you know, there is no quick fix to this, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, that's the case. Like, even as you're saying, if you cut it in half down to 60, I mean, well, what, what is Rutgers going to, if they make the cut? Yeah. Rutgers and Vanderbilt and they go one and 11 permanently. In Northwestern, to a certain extent, you know. Because they're on a different playing field than, than these other teams. It's not just conference-dependent or, you know, anything like that. It's You're dealing with such an enormous country and competing interests and different ge- geography and, you know, what yeah. that means for demographics in your area and all. Like, Not everybody is going to be on the le- a level playing field. They aren't now, and there's no way – the NFL is great. People love it because of the parody. Well, it's because of everything you described. Central leadership and agree, agreement to the same rules for everybody. Yeah. And that doesn't exist in college football. And I truly have a hard time believing that it ever will. But yeah. You know why, women? You know why? Because players aren't under contract. I mean, this, right. uh, you know, they've, they've really missed the boat here. But I'm not sure if I wanted a mini NFL anyway. I didn't. I mean, right. That's what separates college football from the NFL, but that's where we're headed. By the way, speaking of uh, changes, I mean, I saw where a Wyoming quarterback uh, went into the transfer portal and went to North North Dakota State. Are you bummed? Well. He went to North Dakota State. Wyoming losing uh, both quarterbacks and then having one drop to the FCS level was not a great development for the Cowboys. And also having – losing their two quarterbacks and their best wide receiver who transferred to Tennessee over the weekend, which is the Austin Ward plan. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm sure that'll work out very well for him. Um, it's frustrating. I wonder what's going on because nobody wants to actually listen to me talk about Craig Bull. He could go seven and five forever, but yeah. he's the highest, you know, unless, unless something changed with the Colorado State deal, he was the highest paid coach in the Mountain West Conference. Wyoming is paying for it. They want to be really good, and he's not going to get fired for just going to bowl games because the expectations there are, are reasonable. But man, like that's tough, buddy. I don't know how you how you handle that. That's um, that's a big one. But here's the thing, man. It goes you know, even North Dakota State is downhill from Wyoming, so you know. Well, they do save win gas, a lot. Of- you save gas on the way there, or Tennessee. I mean, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. One of my favorite people in the world, Austin Ward. He had a much better view from his hotel room than I did from mine in, uh, in uh, 
in L.A., uh, but that's another story for another day, although I could see the Hollywood sign and the Griffith Observatory. But, uh, Austin, uh, thanks for joining me again, man. We're going to get together later in the week and uh, talk about uh, the uh, national championship game and where this is all headed. Uh, but, yeah, there was too much going on in the Ohio State, in my opinion, the Ohio State re- coaching ranks. Uh, and, you know, you're the one that fostered this idea of like uh, maybe a little bonus uh, coverage uh, down the road. But uh, thanks for joining me on this Tim May podcast, my man. Always a pleasure, buddy. I know, man. Does that seat, does that feel like a form-fitting seat to you now, that co-pilot seat? It does, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it feel like just occasionally there's somebody else sitting there, but it still kind of feels home to you, right? It belongs to me. There you go. He knows where all the buttons are, ladies and gentlemen. I let him fly it every now and then. But uh, until next time, Austin Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.